so she put it at the end of the aisle, and then she went down the aisle to get something else, and then I just moved her cart around the corner and parked it somewhere else, and she comes and like, <laughs> then she goes and gets a supervisor, <laughs> and then they, they found it, and then I was just sitting there, <laughs> and, then, and then the supervisor comes, you did it. <laughs> so don't try that at home, you know. Or another time when I, years ago, it was fun. I, um, I was heading up the grade five ministry, I think. And we were having Mission Impossible in the evening at the church. So it gets nice and dark in here. And uh, so I was on the overhead projector, if you know what that is. Uh, we had the instructions uh, to Mission Impossible theme, but it was kind of the music behind uh, Star Wars. So it was just like, your mission, should you choose to accept it? And the great fivers, now I'm building up, hopefully, this worrisome anxiety. And we come to the cradle scene. It was around Christmas. And I talked about it. And then all of a sudden, I said, you guys, baby Jesus is missing from the manger scene. So then these kiddos had to go all around the church and find clues. And there was actually also people that were out there to get them with a flashlight. So they had to sneak around the church and grab clues and then put these pieces of paper together, which would slowly put a puzzle, a whole puzzle together, which would finally lead them to Jesus so that they could put Jesus back in the cradle. Huh? So anxiety. I love to share it. But you know what? I'm, I'm hoping that today you don't just listen to a sermon. I'm actually hoping that like, there were some uh, aha moments for me as I looked at Scripture this time around. And I'm hoping I can share it with you and that you can come with me to the scene of Mary and Joseph of the angels, Jesus, Simeon, and Anna. And I'm hoping there's some cool stuff in here for you to really realize that, like, honestly, if you do struggle with anxiety or worry, that there's something in this Christmas story for you. Let me read. In Luke chapter 2, we read some of it already, but in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Speed on up to verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Fast forward again to uh, verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, 
he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory of your people Israel. Well, the child's mom and dad marveled at what was said about him. But then Simeon goes on, blessed them and said to Mary, his mom, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce, will pierce your own soul too. Now, everybody here wants to hear a blessing over their kiddo. So they're pumped what Simeon is saying, but then Simeon has to go on and say, and a sword will pierce your own soul too, mom. Probably not something that was all that exciting to hear. Well, there's also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. How do you like that? If it says one thing about you in scripture, so. <laughs> She was old. <laughs> Just wait. It tells us, now we're going to know biblically how old is <laughs> really old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, oh, wait a second here. Then, uh, then she was a widow until she was... 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Amazing stuff. I wonder sometimes as we read that, and it's a feel-good story, we're, we're pumped because uh, we see the lights, we know what season is, is, and this is the kind of story, wherever you are in your faith, that this is a feel-good story, but I wonder sometimes if we forget a very important detail about the Christmas season. And this is what I mean. Do we forget that the devil was alive and active in the times of Joseph and Mary? How juicy it would be for the devil to foil the plans of the Savior. How incredible would it be if he could have tempted the Magi to actually turn around and go back to Herod and actually give the precise location of the king so that he could thrust a sword into the baby Jesus. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So I think sometimes for me, it's easy for me to look at this feel-good stories and go like, wow, Joseph and Mary, they were extraordinary. They must have, we elevate them to this ivory tower, we honor them, and we think their resumes must have been impressive. 
but it was just Joseph and it was just Mary. So for us to see that somehow the Lord did mighty things through them when they had all the reasons in the world to be full of anxiety, to be full of worry, and to really wonder what in the world is God up to here. And I love this story because we see ordinary people walk with God and we see then extraordinary results. So spiritual warfare for Joseph and Mary, the anxiety, the judging eyes, the heart-wrenching ethical dilemmas. You see, it was a big deal back then because when you get betrothed to somebody, that would mean that there was a deal made with the two families and a dowry was paid. And then Joseph would have gone back, you know, according to custom, and would have started building a home. And at some point then would come parading with his men and come over to where uh, Mary would have been and then had a big celebration and they would go and consummate their marriage. So it was a big public display. Huge ambitions, really cool stuff for both families and especially something to look forward to when it comes to Joseph and Mary. But yet it was filled with scandal. It was filled with scandal. You know from the story that all of a sudden Mary gets pregnant and gets pregnant because the Holy Spirit has come upon her. So she's not impregnated by a man whatsoever. But I'm not sure about you, but that story would be a hard one to believe, don't you think? Like if you're a young woman and just you're about to get married and just say, now Bob, I got something to tell you. I'm pregnant, but don't worry, okay? It's the good Lord. Right. Right? Like, this is a crazy story. This is a crazy story. So it's filled with scandal, and it's filled with worry, and filled with anxiety. And Mary has been told this by an angel, and we're going to see in, a, in, a, in, a, in just a moment some of the verses that were said about her and what she does about it. But then when this news is delivered to uh, Joseph, you can just imagine Mary standing in front of a mirror or whatever and just saying, okay, how am I going to say this to Joseph? Now, Joseph, can I see you for a second? Hey, why don't you get comfortable? I'm guessing she's rehearsing what in the world to say to try and sell this story to Joseph. And then Joseph hears the story. And I love Joseph. He's just a guy. But you know what? He is a neat guy, full of virtue, because he knows what her, are his rights to do. He has rights now to bring her, because she has done something to the whole dowry system, to the whole honor system, to the whole marriage bed, that he could really bring her to the magistrates, to the justice system. And there's a good chance she could be stoned to death for being impure and not keeping her promise to keep herself for him. But he's a neat guy. Because he just actually wants to deal with her in an honorable way and wants to divorce her quietly. Let's not forget the emotion behind this. Joseph is in love with Mary, you guys. This would break his heart. This would break his heart. Mary's full of anxiety because she's got to come with this story to Joseph. See, sometimes we elevate this couple that they're saints and they've done something. They're a young couple that God has chosen. It's kind of neat because he chooses us too. We're just regular folks and he uses us, chooses us. And here we see a beautiful story unfold. Joseph 
now is wandering in, in this quandary and he's wondering, should I divorce her? Uh, maybe I should divorce her quietly. Did she fool around on me? And you would like it if the story was a bit quicker. Like, why was he left with all these swirling thoughts? And then the angel finally comes and says, Joseph, don't worry, because the child within Mary is actually the Son of God. Came because the Holy Spirit has hovered over her. But there was this epic, this sense of timing where he had to deal with doubt. He had to deal with deep hurt. He had to deal with deep anxiety. But then when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, at that point, he has an opportunity because of what the angel has said, will I believe God for his character or will I continue to be full of the thoughts of my anxiety and doubts and worry? Will I care what the, what the whole community is looking at? Will I care about what my parents are saying right now and what her parents are saying? There is a ton, a ton of things for him to worry about and think about at this moment. I like what Miriam Dixon and Margaret uh, Campbell point out. They said, when Mary was found pregnant, Joseph's path certainly got disrupted. Joseph experienced the death of his future with Mary. Think about it. His hope was shattered here for a moment. He never saw this coming. Yet he obeyed and he laid the stones of his life in a different direction and became a participant in God's redemptive plan. You guys, Joseph was walking this way and thinking about all the cool things that him and Mary are going to do, how many kids they're going to have, where they're going to live, what kind of car they're going to drive or what kind of horse they're going to ride or whatever they do, right? And, they're going, and all of a sudden, God, the divine, comes and boom, comes to the earth and here now he turns and he lays stones and says, Lord, I'm going to be a part of your redemptive plan. I believe, like the centurion says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This is huge. He has ambitions. He's a regular guy. He has thoughts of what he's going to do. He has thoughts of building his resume. And all of a sudden, boom, he stops and going, what am I supposed to do with this news? She goes on to say, no longer steered by his own ambitions, may it be so with us, Dixon says. Not because we should obey, but because we can. Obedience is an opportunity offered to us by God so that our capacity for joy may be increased. So that in losing our life, we may find it or we may find him. We may find him. She goes on to say, what if apparent delays and shattered dreams are actually a way of re-collaborating our relationship with God? What if God is deliberately drawing our attention away from circumstances into a responsive, listening posture of receptivity? Pause there for a second. How many times have things been going really, really peachy for you? Just incredible. And you're driven to your knees. But yet, how many times have you experienced heartache and hardship and you are driven to your knees? And you experience God in a whole new way. I think sometimes we actually swallow the lie that we think when we give our lives to Christ, everything needs to be peachy. And it's oftentimes the turmoil that we go through that draws our hearts to Jesus Christ. 
and what he can do in your circumstances. Joseph hears from God in a dream and he chooses a different path from his own. He accepts God's version of the events and moves forward. And I want to pause there and ask this question. Is there a chance that each one of us has an opportunity that we see all the things that we can worry about? We see all the things that people might think about us. We see all the things we should have done and could have done and we failed. And we see all of this and it's hard not to focus on it. It's hard not to keep thinking of, wow, I really screwed this up. I really messed this up. I can't believe I did this. Look at my overwhelming circumstances. Just like Joseph, and Joseph made up his mind to turn and start walking and believing God for his track record and believing God for his character. He sent an angel, so the king of kings and the lord of lords, uh, the covenant God, sent an angel and said, this is God's plan. This baby is actually from God. And he had a choice to make at that point. And he chose to trust the track record and the character of God. That's Joseph. And then there's Mary. I can just imagine Mary, like I said before, sitting in front of the mirror, going over the conversation. How's this sound? What should I say here? And you guys, it's not like she had a lot of support at this point. It's not like she can run back to her group of girlfriends and just say, guess what? I'm pregnant. And it's from the Lord. Right. Right? It would be such an awkward situation. So she's going to sit there and go, what's going to happen to me? Is Joseph going to believe me? Is Joseph going to divorce me? Is Joseph going to actually go to the magistrates and have me stoned to death? What are my parents going to think? This whole dowry situation, they're going to think I'm worthless, that I'm not trustworthy, I'm not honorable. I could end up on the streets if not killed. What are people going to think? So many unknown circumstances that could have crushed any one of us, you guys. Any one of us. But yet, verse 19, I want to go back there and read this. Verse 19 says this, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. You've all read that so many times, but have you stopped and read that? Have you really stopped and read that? The word translated treasure in verse 19 actually means to preserve, to keep in your mind. Not just go, oh yeah, and then move on. No, it's to preserve and to keep in your mind, to keep thinking about it so that you will not forget it. Just keep, keep thinking about it. To guard, to keep to preserve, to keep safe, and to keep close. So you guys, she also had this opportunity to worry about everything. What am I going to, where am I going to have this baby? We can't even find a hotel room, nothing like that. So many things to worry about. But she decided to take the, the message from God, what's going on, to see what Joseph has done, to see the, deliver, uh, the, the message delivered by the angel. All of this, she just kept it going in her head, kept it going in her head, kept it going in her head. Why? Because you know that our human nature says, if you don't fill your mind with good stuff and godly stuff, something will fill your mind. And anxiety was creeping at her door. Worry was knocking down the door of her heart. But she kept pondering in her mind what he had done. I was treasuring. The ponder word actually means, and it translated this, to bring together or to think deeply or reflect on something. 
to give careful consideration to various implications of an issue, to reflect, to think seriously, to think deeply. Mary remembered all these things and thought deeply about them. Thought deeply about them. Mary did not want to let a single detail of this slip her mind. Her thoughts were captive to Christ. Is really what this is saying. She took these thoughts, these, these, all these things that had happened, and she jammed them in her mind. And she would only think about the character of God and the message that was sent to her and believe. Maybe it was even, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But she would not allow these, all these other um, thoughts of anxiety, circumstances to enter her mind because you know just as well as I do when you open that door a floodgate is ready to come in and destroy our thinking and make us anxious and worrisome and respond in fear instead of faith so her thoughts were made captive to Christ and she made every effort to remember every detail to seek to understand it and the meaning of his birth God brought Simeon into the temple that day and that was cool. Most of it was cool because here this old man is pretty much taking the baby and saying, oh, and it's really neat because Joseph and Mary brought the baby and Simeon comes here and he's moved by the spirit to be at that point at that day and he sees the baby Jesus, grabs the baby Jesus and says, oh, awesome, now I can die. What? <laughs> but he was so excited because the promises of God are being fulfilled there and he had such an overwhelming peace that he was ready to move on. Trusting that God had fulfilled his promise. What a neat thing to say. But then he goes on to have these echoing words that the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And Mary, a sword will pierce, pierce your own heart too. So in effect, Simeon told Mary that difficult days are ahead for her and her son. Almost like a forewarning or a prophecy. And true to that, Mary did suffer greatly because of Jesus. To watch him grow up as a man and to see some of the things that happened. He was no ordinary son. He belonged first of all to his heavenly father, which... He reminded Mary when he took off or couldn't be found at the temple and she's all worried about him and he's going like, what are you worried about? I'm, uh, I'm about my father's business. He operated on his own timetable, not hers, and made that clear when he was at the wedding uh, in Cana, John chapter 2, when Jesus' ministry attracted such great numbers that he and his disciples could not even eat. His family thought he was out of his mind and wanted to take care of him and take charge of him. When it came time for Jesus to die, who was at the foot of the cross or who was there that day? Mary was there at the cross. John tells us that she was near the cross as she watched her son suffer and die in shame. But somehow Mary learned to treasure and ponder. Treasure and ponder. Treasure and ponder. Somehow her pondering and treasuring trumped any anxiety that she was experiencing. And this kind of brings us back to what we looked at last week. Somehow, she knew about this verse that hadn't been written yet. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, ponder, and treasure these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put these into practice. And then what happens? The God of peace will be with you. My friends, if we struggle with worry, I think we all do, or if we struggle with anxiety, it didn't happen overnight. I know even in my own life, I have made some trails in my brain that I instantly go down the worry road or the anxiety road and I have to stop and take that captive and go, this is not, this is not right. If I go down this road, I know I'm going to end up spilling out on somebody else or hurting somebody's feelings or just be a total nervous wreck. No, no, stop. Out with that, in with the godly thought. And that takes time. This, this is not a drive-through practice I'm talking about. This is a daily, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, practice. And I think this is what Mary did. I think this is what Joseph did. When it comes to treasuring and pondering, in a way I think Mary and Joseph had to learn to take every thought captive. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. This is what uh, verse 5 says. It tells us that we need to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Yes, this has to do with defending your faith, but it also has to sometimes do be with defending your faith when it comes to the evil one putting all sorts of anxiety and worry and doubt and stuff. And sometimes our own habits have brought that on. And he's saying here, stop. Take every thought captive. We've had that chat with our young kiddos. Because sometimes they struggle with worry or worry dragons, we call them. And it's time to, okay, stop. What's going on? Figure out which ones to throw in jail and, and, and throw away the key. And in your mind, there is this good prison, shall we say, or keeping captive the good thoughts that actually change our thinking, which would seep into our actions. Keeping captive every good thought. It's interesting because uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, it's actually um, speaking about warfare in 10 verse 4. So it actually means there's a campaign for your soul. We just talked about that when, earlier in Ephesians. So there's this campaign for your soul. It's not just a little squirmish that's happening in the book of uh, Corinth, Corinthians. So there's this church full of new Christians, but they were messed up. Sometimes I read Corinthians and I'm going like, wow, if I was God, I would not have kept this one in the Bible because some of them, that was messed up stuff. But it's pretty cool because here he's address, <clears throat> excuse me, addressing them. And he's saying, this isn't just squirmish. The devil is losing territory here with people becoming Christians. And they're starting to show some crazy stuff. And here he's saying, stop. Take your thoughts captive, you guys. Think about what is good, what is pure, what is noble. Think about the character of God. Think about his track record. And fill your mind with that. Instead of comparing yourselves to others. Instead of worry. Instead of doubt. Instead of anxiety. The powers of hell are still trying to destroy the work of God. They would love to destroy that story right there. And they would love to destroy your story and your faith. Taking every thought captive. 
So I want to share with you six ways that uh, Richard Gans offers to take your thoughts captive. In this season when we have lots to worry about sometimes, lots to fret about, lots of details, lots of anxiety, I think we need this. Six ways that can, we can take our thoughts captive. Number one is accept responsibility for your thoughts. You have the ability to exercise control over your thoughts. God even warned Cain back in Genesis to focus his mind on the right things. He said, be careful because sin is crouching at your door wanting to consume you. And Cain was so full of anger and jealousy and comparison that he just gave into it and ended up through anger and jealousy killing his brother. Accept responsibility for the thoughts going on in your head. Number two, your mind, not just your behavior, must change. We love to think about outward things to change our behavior, but it really starts in our minds. As we think, there we go. So changing our minds, and remember that beautiful verse in Romans 12. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing, by the renewing, by the ongoing renewing of your mind. Filling your mind with thoughts of God, his virtues and character. You guys, I, I, uh, if any of you have struggled with anxiety, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, this is hard work that I'm saying. This is hard. But we have the Holy Spirit of God that would help us to do this. We have the Holy Spirit of God that help us to recognize and punt out the garbage and fill our minds with the good stuff. Instead of focusing on outward behavior, he says, work on disciplining our minds from which the behaviors stem. Allow God to transform by the renewing of our minds. Number three, he says, think about your problems rather than react to them. So again, to weigh them out. To think about the problems and if I continue on this thought process, where will I end up? So think about them and if you're like me, I love to react to my problems. So just jump on your problems. They say something that will get you into deeper trouble or do something that will get you into deeper trouble instead of just calm down, think about it, and how should I respond? How should I respond? Number four, take your disabling thoughts captive through confession. Confront your disabling thoughts, he says. Turn them over to God and become who he sees you can be. I love that, the whole confession thing. Like You can even say, God, I am so overwhelmed right now. I just really don't like how I've been disrespected or I really don't like this broken relationship. I can't, I just, I'm worried so much. And confess that to God and then stop staring at what's bothering you and giving you anxiety. Give it to him. And turn around. And start thinking about his virtues, thinking about his character, thinking about his faithfulness. Changing your mind. Focus, choose to focus your thoughts on the right things. We talked about this already. But whatever is pure, whatever is good, whatever is noble. If you're like me and you're a, you've hit your head against the wall and something's overwhelming you, you might be tempted to turn on the TV. Or check out Netflix, because that's, that'll soothe your mind. <laughs> and it's the worst sometimes being married to a therapist, because she knows way too many things. And she just actually says, survey says, research says, that if we're struggling with stuff, it might be anger, it might be anxiety, it might be worry, it might be doubt. But you're like, ah, I just need a break. So you go in a room and you watch TV. 
for two hours. When you come out the other side of those two hours, you have just pressed pause and you have just as many worries and emotions with your anxieties as you did two hours before. So it's useless to think that you can take a break by watching TV or playing video games. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so it's really important that we actually pause, think, and fill our minds with what is good and what is right. And lastly, he says, it's possible. It's not easy to retrain your thoughts or to respond in new Christ-like ways, but take heart as God empowers you to focus your mind on the right things. And as you continue to focus your minds on the right thing, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, it will become easier. Because we've often created pathways uh, in our minds of anxiety, of worry, of reaction. And now he's pretty much saying, come to Christ. Like Mary, ponder these things. Think about them deeply over and over and over and over again. Think about how, how much you want to treasure things of Christ and his goodness over and over and over again. Because think about this. You that have struggled with worry and anxiety, that there's a huge chance that you struggle with it because we haven't taken our thoughts captive, but actually we think about the things that worry about us all day long. So now we're just saying, let's flip that over and punt out those thoughts and think, ponder, and treasure the things of God. What is good, what is noble, and pure. Somehow, Joseph and Mary could do that. Against all odds, they pondered and treasured. And we see what happened. The good Lord is still doing things in our own lives today. In the Christmas story. So my friends, if I can encourage you today to realize that the Christmas story really is a beautiful testament of miracle after miracle. And maybe this Christmas, the miracle that you need is to learn to meditate on Christ. Meditate on his virtues, on his character. And leave behind or punt out the worries that can so easily trip us up taking every thought captive thinking what is good and pure pondering and treasuring Heavenly Father thank you for your word this morning and it's a good reminder for us to realize that it's not always our, our mate or our son or our job sometimes a lot of our worries and strifes actually come because there's spiritual warfare going on for our souls there's spiritual warfare going on for our minds the devil would love to crowd out the thoughts of Jesus with worry, with guilt, with shame. And Mary showed us that even a young gal like that, in scandalous circumstances, somehow, by the Spirit of God, was able to ponder, to think deeply and treasure these thoughts treasured the narrative, treasured the actions, treasured her thanksgiving for Joseph, all of it. Somehow she worked at that. And for that we're thankful. Thank you, Jesus, that no matter what spiritual warfare was going on, that you came and you reached out to us. And you love us so much that the story does not end there. But goes on, as all of us know, 
to the Easter story of you giving your life and rising again to give us new life every day. And Father, you've given us your Holy Spirit to help us with this. You've given us your Holy Spirit to help us recognize and punt out the garbage, punt out the, the, the garbage thoughts and to fill our minds with what is good, noble, and pure. Help us, Lord, to ponder. Help us, Lord, to treasure. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. I'll leave you with the same blessing. Is finally, brothers and sisters of White Rock Community Church, this week, this season, think about whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right. Think about whatever is, is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is admirable. If anything is praiseworthy, if anything is excellent, think about these things. Ponder them. Treasure them. And whatever you have learned today, whatever you have learned from the Apostle Paul, whatever you have learned from Mary and Joseph today, put into practice. Because as you put this into practice, the peace of God will be with you. Amen.